Good morning. Good to see you this morning. The story is told that when Governor Herter was governor of Massachusetts, that he was out on the campaign trail one day chasing votes, and he got really tired, and he was really hungry, and he noticed a church barbecue, and so he decided to jump in line, get himself something to eat, and thought that he might uh, maybe get some more votes. And so he's in line, he gets to the front of the line, and uh, the lady puts a piece of chicken on his plate and turns to the next person. And he says, excuse me, miss, uh, can I have another piece of chicken? And she says, no, sorry. And he said, well, it's just that I've, I've been working hard all day and I'm really hungry. And she goes, I'm sorry, one piece of chicken per person. Next. Now, it's said that Mr. Werder was a very unassuming, quiet guy, but he decided to pull rank in this instance. And so he looked at the lady and he said, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this entire state. And the lady looked at him and said, do you know who I am? I'm the chicken lady. Move along. <laughs> and it, it just proves that we are all the boss of something or someone, right? I mean, all of us have authority in some way, shape, or form. You may be the boss at home. You may be the boss over your dog, but you're the boss of someone or something, right? But... We are all under the authority of someone as well, aren't we? All of us operate under authority. You may be operating under the authority of the school principal or the teacher. You may have a boss at work. Whatever it is, we all have authority and we are all under authority. Keep that principle in mind as we look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, beginning of verse 1, reads like this. It says, When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, and a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. <clears throat> Let's do a brief character description of this centurion for just a moment. First of all, he's a centurion, which means that he was an honorable man, people of integrity, and honor were promoted to this position. So we know that about him. Secondly, we also know that he has an, a rather unusual attitude towards the Jewish people. You know, Jews, uh, Jews were not in the habit of talking with Gentile people. They didn't uh, allow them to come into their home. You weren't allowed to go into the home of a Gentile person, and you weren't allowed to do business dealings with them. So the Roman centurion here seems to have a right relationship with the Jewish people. It's a respected relationship that goes both ways. He also has a rather unusual attitude towards his slave, right? I mean, you got to understand, in Rome at this time, slaves were nothing more than property. 
I mean, if you didn't want your slave anymore, you could kill him without any repercussions. But what we also see here is this centurion was very humble. As I said, Jews were forbidden to have any interaction with Gentiles, and this, this centurion honored that, right? Because he doesn't even go to Jesus himself. He sends messengers to go to him. So we know a little bit about this centurion, and it's all favorable, right? That's just a peek at his profile. Here's something else that I find interesting, and it's found in verse 8. And I think verse 8 is really a key to understanding the whole meaning and magnitude of this passage. It's the word also. Notice it again. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Why is this centurion playing off the fact that he is under submission rather than an authority figure, especially with Jesus. Why would that be where he goes? Jesus is a man who controlled the weather, a man who raised the dead. He had all authority given to him by God, and yet this centurion says, well, I'm also under someone. Doesn't that seem a little unusual? But it also gives us a hint at the character of this individual because he understands something that we all need to understand, and that is authority over involves placing yourself under. I don't care what office you hold, what title you wear, how many initials you have after your last name, you are always under someone else's authority, namely God's, right? If nobody else's. The centurion recognized that there was no way that Jesus could have done what he had done had it not been been for who he was under. This man recognized that the type of power that he had had to come from somewhere. He recognized this because he as a centurion was living it himself. He was in charge, but he was under the charge of other people. That's what spelled success. And it's no different for Jesus. Look at John chapter 5, beginning of verse 25. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I want you to notice the alignment. Jesus has been given the authority. He didn't own it for himself. It was given to him by the Father. But notice that this authority does not mean that he is free to do whatever he wants to do. I can do nothing on my own initiative, he says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why? Because he says so? No, because God says so. The son does not seek his own will, but the will of him who sent him. Isn't that what the centurion is pointing to? You only have authority because it was granted to you. Instead of always deferring to his deity and his power, Jesus deferred to the will of God. And there's something great in that. and something we can learn for sure. Although all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth, Jesus still said, my teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. Jesus and the centurion show us that authority is all about alignment. You know who else shows us this? Good elders. They show us that too. 
Because a good elder like ours understands that I am in a position of authority, but I operate under authority. I am an elder, but I serve the good shepherd, right? I'm an elder, but I have an elder. (laughs) I'm an elder, but I serve the one true shepherd. You know who else shows us this? Godly wives. Remember what Paul said, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And we get, we get all bent out of shape about that in our culture. But actually, the authority alignment principle doesn't just apply to godly wives. It applies to godly husbands as well. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I've heard a husband say to his wife one time, in my presence, you've got to do what I tell you to do because the Bible says so. And I said, no, no, you're out of alignment. That's not what Scripture teaches. You are a rebel instead of being in alignment. And guess what happens to rebels? They rebel against authority, and that's a bad thing, right? You can keep reading in Ephesians chapter 5. We see that the church has to be in spiritual alignment. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. A church that is not aligned to the head is out of alignment, obviously, and that means they're in trouble. They're not the church of Christ, right? And so a church has to be in alignment. If Jesus is the head, if he purchased it member by member with his own blood, then we need to be in alignment with the head. Keep reading in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents. In the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Children are commanded to be aligned with the Heavenly Father. We sometimes look at children who are rebellious in, in their adult years, and we, we turn to the parent and we say, well, they must have done something wrong. No, no, no. Children make their own decisions at some point in life, and they have to determine to be under the alignment of their parents and their raising and God. And if they're not, they're the rebels, not their parents. Then you keep looking. An earthly father doesn't abuse his authority. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, parents really both, but fathers, you have to align yourself with the authority of God and Scripture in raising your children. Paul continues with this authority alignment principle as he talks about slaves and masters. Slaves, understand that you are serving a higher master, not just your earthly master, but a higher one. And masters, understand that you are not to treat a slave in an ungodly manner because you serve the one true God, right? Masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with them. So do you see this? Maybe I've gone overboard with it, but do you understand the authority alignment principle as it's laid out, not just by Paul, but throughout Scripture? Authority over involves placing yourself under. Hey, you ever ever drive a car that's out of alignment? You know how you tell, right? Just drive down a straight road and let go of the steering wheel. And if it's bad out of alignment, guess what's going to happen? You're going to end up in a ditch unless you take back control of it. A car that is out of alignment is bad for wear and tear on your tires. It's not safe. It's uncomfortable. If you've ever driven a car that's badly out of alignment, you've got to hold the steering wheel tight to keep it driving straight. And the same is true with us spiritually. We have to be in alignment if we want to keep cruising down the road to, to heaven effectively. If we want to make sure that we are going in the right direction and staying out of the ditches, then we align ourselves properly. 
Deuteronomy 5.32 reads, So you shall observe to do, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, you shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. For our purposes, we could say, don't veer off into the ditch, either to the right or to the left. In Hebrew, the word for sin is avon, A-W-O-N, and it means perversity or crookedness. And it refers to turning to the right or to the left and not going in a straight line. In other words, not being in alignment. Spiritual alignment is critical to our traveling through this life as sojourners and pilgrims. We end up in the ditch when we try to take control of our lives. When you get behind the wheel of your life, do you know what happens every single time? Every single time you get behind the wheel of your life, you end up in the ditch. Eventually, always. You may cruise along at a pretty good rate of speed for a while, but eventually you're going to end up in the ditch. So you know what you have to do? You have to let the manufacturer drive the car. He's the one that made it anyway. You ride shotgun. Like the great theologian Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel, right? You've got to let him have the wheel. You ride shotgun. Let the manufacturer who designed the whole car to begin with, let him drive it. Let him be the pilot. Here's something else I want you to look at. And I, I want us to look at this in slow motion and really consider it for just a moment. It's Jesus' reaction after hearing the centurion talk about authority. Verse 9. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. You ever thought about what it would be like to blow Jesus' mind? That's what the centurion did. I mean, Jesus marveled at his faith. Why? Well, because don't you think the people that were in charge should have understood the authority alignment principle? Shouldn't the Jewish leaders have understood this better than anyone? And yet, they didn't. They failed to recognize it. The one that understood it best was a lowly centurion. A Roman Gentile is the one who understood it best. Look at Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Now it happened that he, Jesus, was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I love when Jesus quotes the Old Testament to people who claim to know it like the back of their hand. He says, have you not read, do you not know what David did? Of course they knew. They knew everything there was to know. They could pass any test on the Old Testament. And yet they completely ignored the spirit of it. The they were good on law. They were bad on the spirit of the law. And what should motivate abiding by and obeying the law, right? And so Jesus brings this forth. Keep reading in verses 6 and following. He says, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. 
but he knew that what they were thinking. Then he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. I love this passage for a few reasons. One of them is because Jesus blatantly breaks the law in order to make a point. He heals someone on the Sabbath, and as we know, healing on the Sabbath was a violation of the law. The law said that on the Sabbath you were to rest and not work, and the Jews, the Jewish leaders, believed that healing someone was an act of work or labor, and so therefore that was a violation of the Sabbath. And Jesus is making a point by breaking the law here, right? He's making a couple of points. The first point he's making is, I can do this because it's the right thing to do. When someone is in need, you meet the need. I don't care what day of week it is. I don't care what day of the week it is. If someone is in need, you help that person in need. You don't put religious, religiosity over humanity and doing the right thing. The second thing I, that, that he is making, the second point, is that I'm Jesus. I'm God in the flesh. If I want to override the law, I can do that. I'm the manufacturer. I made the law. And if I want to break the rules and the regulations, then I can do that, right? Because I am the authority. And so you look to me, not to your lifeless law when it comes down to it, right? Jesus asked the so-called experts, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or destroy it? And I imagine that this question hit the Jewish leaders right between the eyes. These men should have been doing everything within their power to help the one in need, but instead they were doing everything within their power to destroy the one who was doing their job. Jesus was seeking and saving the lost, and the Jewish leaders were searching and destroying. Any idea? how these so-called experts could have been so out of alignment? Well, if you're keeping up, they didn't abide by the authority alignment principle. They weren't deferring to God, the ultimate authority. Jesus even said on numerous occasions that one of the main faults was that they were trying to place themselves in a position of authority and they had no right to do that because of the way that they were leading. They had placed themselves in the seat of Moses. Jesus referred to them as blind guides leading the blind. They were attention seekers. They exploited others. Jesus referred to them as a brood of vipers and hypocrites. And rather than recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God, they mocked him, they flogged him, they put him on trial, they hung him on a cross. Why? Why did they do such egregious things? Are you keeping up? Because they were out of alignment. They were in the ditch because they were not recognizing or refusing to recognize the authority alignment principle. So here's my question. What about you? Is your life in alignment? Let me ask you this. Are the things that you say to yourself true? And you know what I'm talking about. We all say things to ourselves when we're on a little bit shaky ground or maybe the car is veering a little bit. We all say things, right? Are those merely justifications 
for being out of alignment? We've got to be honest with ourselves here. Do we say things like, it's just a few drinks. I certainly don't have a problem. I'm not, it's not like I'm an alcoholic. Is that true? What do you say about yourself concerning your finances? What do you say to yourself concerning, you know, the, the, the things you watch, the images on the computer? Well, it's just, that's a victimless crime. I'm not hurting anybody. One of the most disheartening conversations I had with my mother before she passed away was we were talking about Scripture and I was trying to present the gospel to her. And she stopped me and she said, Chris, I know what the Bible says, but anytime you follow that statement with but, you know you got a problem. You know you're in the ditch, right? I know what Scripture says, but I just don't believe that way. Well, for all practical purposes, our conversation was over, right? Not that I stopped trying, but at that point, it's one of the saddest things to hear when someone you love is saying, I know what Scripture says, but. If we refuse the authority alignment principle, then what are we left with, right? Let me ask you this. Let's say that you're in a convenience store and you're purchasing something, and just before you go to pay, some guys in ski masks come in and they attempt to rob the place. They point the gun at the cashier and say, empty, empty out the drawer, pull the cash in this bag. Thankfully, some, some police officers were in the parking lot, and they see what's transpiring, and they come in, and they point their guns at the thieves and say, drop your weapons. Now, who's in danger at that moment by the authorities? You? No, I mean, you hadn't done anything wrong. You're just trying to buy something, right? You talk about, an, you know, if you're in a convenience store, that'd be an inconvenience store, right? You're not in trouble. Who's in danger of the authorities? The cashier? No, she's innocent. The only person or persons in danger from the authorities are the people trying to rob the place. Because anytime you're acting against authority, anytime you're out of alignment with authority, whether it be the Heavenly Father, whether it be the governing authorities in our nation or the local authorities, there's trouble, right? You run the risk of being put in jail or other ramifications. But if you are in alignment, you don't have anything to fear. You don't have to fear God. Here's the thing, we're not perfect. And there are times when we need to tweak our alignment a little bit. Not long ago, got new tires for my daughter's car and go in there and they aligned it. It wasn't bad out of alignment. I don't think you could really tell that it was pulling one way or the other too badly, but it needed a little bit of tweaking. And we're all that way as human beings. We're not perfect. We need a little tweaking here and there because it's hard to stay in perfect alignment. However, we, we don't have to fear the authorities. We are striving to travel down the right road in the right direction and stay out of the ditches so we don't have to live in fear. I want to ask you this morning, are you veering off the road? Maybe you're already in the ditch. But as long as you have breath in your lungs, there's an opportunity to fix it. Today's the day, right? You can't have authority without accountability. And thankfully, God has given us the greatest social network in the world, the church, to help hold ourselves accountable. And of course, we are held accountable by God. And so ask yourself this morning, am I in alignment? And if you're not, fix it. Don't leave here. Don't go to lunch. 
Don't go back to work tomorrow. Don't do anything until you have fixed it, until you have gotten in alignment. Don't stay in the ditch. Kevin's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.